I, I'm royally offended, guys. You're you're busting the chops of my man, Ted. No. Oh. Okay. No one says that. Says yeah. no one ever. Welcome. You're listening to Paleo Cheese Podcast, Episode Nine, Rushmore, with special guest Mother Horror. What's up, everybody? I'm Jeremiah Bannister. I'm Chad Lutsky. And you're listening to the Paleo Cheese Podcast, part of the Project Entertainment Network. It's the podcast that tosses film onto the old Chase Lounge to discuss and psychoanalyze and every once in a while to point and laugh at. And today we've got a really awesome show. And Chad, we got one of your friends with us, man. That, yes, uh, Miss Sadie Hartman, a.k.a. Mother Horror. Uh, if you're a horror author or a reader, uh, particularly within the indie scene, uh, I'm sure you've probably heard of her. She's a tremendous advocate for dark fiction and horror literature and spends a ridiculous amount of time spreading the word throughout, you know, Instagram and Goodreads and most recently YouTube reviews uh, and not just Goodreads, but like Cemetery Dance and the UK's uh, Screen Magazine. She's also the co-creator along with Ashley Sayers of the Nightworms Book Package, which is like a monthly subscription not box, technically, but package where you get all these uh, dark literary goodies in the mail. And uh, they've done some really wonderful things. Essentially, she carries the horror flag and, and preaches loudly from the hilltops for <laughs> all the smaller horror voices like myself. She's here to, today to hang out with us and eventually talk about the Wes Anderson film Rushmore. So, Sadie, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for yeah, thanks us. for having me, you guys. It's... It's an honor to be here. Um, I have to say that I love the name of your podcast, Paleo <laughs> Cheese. It's awesome. And you're Paleo and you're Cheese with a Z. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Wasn't it Jeremy Wagner, man, who was asking us about that? Yeah. And yeah, where that where that came from. It's old school, Sadie. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to, you know what? We're going to have to tag Sadie. And I, I know I'm going to have to do it because Chad... He might be too embarrassed to do it, but I'm not. And so we have these old videos that are really, really old and oh. really, really silly. Like ridiculous. <laughs> Chad his head like, no, thank wall. you. <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. He always says that, you know, but we, we're going to, we're going to do it. And I'll tag you for sure on Twitter. It's going to be a lot of fun, but that's, it kind of comes from that time of, of our lives and how we started doing movie reviews together. We did some like Italian Spider-Man and we did uh kiss meets the Phantom of the park and, had this kind of stick where we'd even put makeup and stuff on and do crazy antics and everything. So the throwback. So how long have you guys known each other? Like 24 years. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. as long as I've been married, actually, this August, 24. Yeah. 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 Congratulations, by the way, on that. Thank you. Yeah. The uh, It's funny because, you know, we were talking, Chad and I, recently about that. And he, he has he has pictures from the very first time that I ever saw him. He was, it was a, he was in a band. What's it called, man? Haji and the ancient Chinese secrets. Yeah. 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 It was a, it was a punk band and there's this dude, you know, I'm there with my girlfriend or whatever and uh, looking all punked out actually with a vest, a lot like the guy from Rushmore, but it was blue with kind of rainbowy stripes. Um, And, uh, and looking at this guy up on the stage and he kind of looked like Kurt Cobain. He kind of had the attitude of Kurt Cobain, too. This really intense guitar guy screaming into a microphone. I'm like, that guy is totally awesome. <laughs> and afterward, come to find out, it was a house It was a, a house party. It was a house show. 
and and it was his home and it was just it was amazing and we became friends after that and funny story i'll just say this is that i was working at this place called frank's nursery and it was totally i was one of my favorite jobs maybe ever and they hired me because this woman had recently gotten pregnant and she she had to take some maternity leave and months later uh, chad invited me to this this uh bible discussion and i go over to his house and we get in this conversation. I see yeah, I work at Frank's nursery and, and his wife goes, I work at Frank's nursery. It was his wife that I was oh, on maternity cool. leave. It was their child. And so, oh, wow. yeah, it was a really cool, really cool thing. But yeah, we've been friends for a long time and uh, made a lot of movies and now a podcast. And then, Chad, uh, was the was the name Haji from um, Johnny Quest? Yes, that's exactly <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we're the same age <laughs> yeah. yeah um i i did want to before we get into anything else uh i just wanted to because i know i've done this like kind of um maybe through you know messages or emails to you but i just want to thank you for everything that you've done just for me personally like today you know that just i don't i don't think you're aware of uh i mean you might be but even just what it did for me there's there's a, a handful of you that that have really helped that stuff get noticed because it's hard. Um, there's, you know, a billion books out there and it doesn't really matter how good your book is. If people aren't, you know, shouting about it, then it's just not going to get read. So it's really helped. And I just wanted to thank you for, for all your support and, and on behalf of everybody else that I know that, that it's really, uh, it's really important and it, it makes a huge difference. And I know that, that, there's a just such a, an investment, and uh, I don't know if people realize just how you know time consuming and how much effort and energy and, and time that you're putting into all of this. And so, thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome, Chad. It's absolutely my pleasure. Like, I mean, when I first started reading horror, um, obviously I was reading a lot of mainstream stuff, like what my mom had, and she had a lot of like Stephen King and Anne Rice and Agatha Christie and, you know, just a, a, a lot of mainstream stuff. And that's what I got started on. And then, um, you know, as I kind of broke into the bookstagram scene and started hearing about authors that were writing more indie fiction or self-published, you know, and reading that, I realized that there was just so much more out there than just what we're getting from the big five, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I would read horror from the big five and I'm not going to mention any names, but I mean, it would be really disappointing. Like I would finish reading it like Reese Witherspoon or something book club would say, Oh, this is the scariest book I've ever read. And I would read it and be like, this is trash. Like mm -hmm. I hate this book. And then I would read, you know, one of Chad's books or, you know, one of, um, any of the plethora of indie fiction authors that there are out there writing horror and they would be scary and they would be well-written and they would be these little gems that I just thought everybody should be reading. Like everybody should be reading this stuff. Like, like th th these are what our movies should be made off of. This is what we should be talking about. This is what we should be, you know, buying and, and supporting and making it so that you guys can continue doing this because I mean, it's a win-win situation for everyone. You know, if I support you, you get to write, I get to read it. Win-win. Yeah. yeah yes. So, I mean, I don't want to say it's totally selfish, but it's kind of selfish. <laughs> <laughs> I want to read books. <laughs> so now you, um, just for since we have you on here, I mean, we should at least talk a little bit about what you're doing. It's specifically maybe the newer stuff that you're doing with Nightworms, uh, like video 
uh, thing that you're that you are trying to launch? Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're doing with that? Yeah, sure. Um, so it's kind of my belief that social media is out there for the taking. Like it's free promotional um, channels that we should be using and we should just be using them all. And so, you know, I'm on Facebook as much as I loathe the platform and think that it's like the least user friendly and it funds, you know, somebody's pockets who has plenty of money. Like, um, it's a free platform for, for me. And, um, same with Instagram, same with Twitter. And then YouTube was just kind of the channel that, um, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not super comfortable with like seeing my face all the time and hearing my voice all the time. Like podcasts is one thing to just kind of like do a one and done, but to have the, the channel open as like doing some reviews or doing some interviews on the channel. Um, it was a little bit, uh, it was just waters I didn't want to get into and, mm -hmm. and it's time consuming. Um, but then recently I had this idea that with coronavirus and with authors not being able to go to book signings and not being able to um, kind of engage with readers the way they would on a book tour, um, I just thought, well, there's got to be a way to get authors' faces in front of their readers and allow readers to see their favorite authors um, and be able to have this like tangible experience. So I thought of this um, promotional event that I'm going to kind of execute on my birthday weekend. Um, it's going to be the 29th through the 31st on uh, the Nightworms YouTube channel. And um, it's going to be all authors that I have read over the year so far. So for like five months, four and a half months, um, reading books that have either come out in 2020 or that I've read in 2020. So um, just a way for authors to promote their work um, and for readers to just have that experience of seeing face to face and, and, you know, just kind of like engaging and interacting with the story um, on that level. Cause I think author readings are totally cool. I, I mean, I, I like to watch them too. Like, uh, you know, Bob Ford, uh, Josh Mallerman, uh, do some yeah. really, you know, Josh does really creative ones. And then, uh, Bob is just, uh, you know, his voice is just butter. He just does it so well. And there's others too that do it really well. By the way, thanks for uh, asking me to do that. And I'll, I'll have it soon to you. Yeah, uh, no pressure. <laughs> we have a week. Um, but I watched Stephen Graham Jones's um, reading of The Attack of the 50-Foot Indian. Mm -hmm. And I think after people hear his voice, it will resonate the entire time you read that story. So like that's the most important thing I think is when you hear that author voice and then you get to thread it into the story as you're reading it, mm -hmm. it just like you can hear it in your mind. So it's that's, really a valuable uh, resource. That's what Lansdale does. I, I can't read a book of his without hearing his voice because I've heard yeah, his voice cool? a lot, you know, in interviews yeah. and stuff. And his yeah. voice is so much in that book that it's just, that's how I hear it. I was going to say when you, uh, you mentioned, the difference between podcasts and videos, I, I totally understand what you're saying. <laughs> like, you know, it's a totally different beast. And yeah. I've done stuff with AM, FM radio for most of my life. And you just sit behind a microphone. You're in a room by yourself. You know, you could be in your underwear or less. <laughs> you know, yeah. And so it doesn't matter what you're doing. Uh, yeah. Of course, nobody knows what I'm wearing beneath the, the line here. But, you know, the thing is, is that it's a, it's a totally different feel. There's, there's, 
a sense that when you're you're on a video that you know that it's being recorded. It's another eye looking at you. And there's people you can see how people get nervous with cameras or how many times people will take the same selfie over and over and over to get the exact yes. angle just right. Yeah. And that's different than sitting there and just pushing a button and talking. But I loved what you said, you know, a second ago about movies and these books that people are are writing. And it's funny about <laughs> Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> I, I don't know if anybody caught that. I just I cracked up. I didn't even know she had a book club about that. But the, uh, yeah. you know, the thing about the movies, though, is that, I, you know, not to just keep hyping up Chad, but I like hyping up Chad. And we both have, of course, Halo Flies behind us. And so we have special collector's editions of Halo Flies. But um, but Skullface Boy, I was telling you know I was I was saying I was like, look, man, when I when I read that, it was like watching a movie, you know. Yeah. I could I could so easily see that with all the crazy, you know, crazy stories and there there's a, there's an intimate dynamic to it, a devastating dynamic to it. It's tragic and yet it's hopeful and you know he's he's on his own and he's kind of on this adventure and stuff and he's got a skull for a face for crying out loud. <laughs> like, how yeah. could you not see this? And there's a nun, man. Like, so, you know, come on. So, like, it just seems like there's there's a lot of things in there that would make it for a great film. And that's true for so many of these books. You know, and a lot of people, I think I think that it's sad because a lot of the movies now are, have no nothing, be, nothing behind them or beyond them other than the script for the movie. That's just it. And it's taken over as a medium where people are just these kind of passive receptors of of images and stuff and we're, we're a movie review show so i mean we're not dogging that per se you know but there's something about the book that's different that that it doesn't just feed you all the information and it allows your brain that room and space to breathe and to create that world in your own mind that you may envision uh, skull face boy for example you may envision his world different than i do but if it's a film it kind of takes that out a little yeah. and it's true for yeah. so many books yeah no that's absolutely that is absolutely the dialogue that i've had so many times about the difference between horror movies and horror books because i don't watch horror movies it's it's like it's too um the visuals and the graphics are are they just like stick in my head um and i don't those aren't the visuals and graphics that i i want you know, and when I'm reading like a, a book, like I, I don't know how like I can filter that between what the words on the page and my brain, like there's a there's a trust level there and kind of like an interaction there that I can manage. Whereas, you know, it's kind of a solo effort between me and myself and I can filter what I want and, and kind of like go as deep as I want or kind of skim through what I don't want. Whereas a movie is just like in your face all the time from multiple angles and sources and you have the actors and you have the producers and you have the directors and it's all of their imagery forced into your brain. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, like my husband and I call it like a, a horror hangover. Like you'll watch a, a horror movie and then it just lingers for weeks. You know, the, the, mm -hmm. the yucky parts. <laughs> yeah. Chad That's likes the yucky parts. Chad, in fact, Chad gets sad when the yucky isn't there. He got sad when it didn't show the the foot getting sawed off in uh in Gross, Killer Chad. Sofa. He was like, he's like, man, he's like, they didn't saw it off. You didn't see it. And I think, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> woo, buddy. You know, so that's hardcore. Here, am I? Are you, are you are you watching anything? TV series? Are you reading anything? Uh, yeah. 
Any, any anything cool that's been going on this week? Yeah, I just I just finished. I just um, purchased the final season of Super Friends, and it's so weird, man, because I call it Super Friends, but it's actually like they have every season almost is a different name for the show. Like they just kept remarketing, remarketing, remarketing is over and over and over. And, uh, and, and so it, it went nine seasons, I think all together in the ninth season, I thought it was really funny because I, I learned something that I, I didn't know before. What's the guy's name? The original Batman, um, Adam West, or I mean, Adam uh, West, dude. Yeah. yeah. yeah Adam, West. Adam West was the voice for Batman. I can't believe I, I, lost that name <laughs> but the, the thing is yeah adam west man adam west was the voice of batman in the ninth season and final season of super friends so i bought that and that was really cool even some interesting characters and the art got better in it you know and so um that was awesome and i'm still i'm still going through lost i'm on season four right now i've already seen it <laughs> You know, it's it's okay, it's a throwback. I was gonna like, be like, I'm gonna spoil it right now. No, 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 yeah, no. Actually, I'll tell you, the only spoiler that I'm worried about is actually reading what the the writers say about it. I almost don't want to, oh. you know, because mm -hmm. you know, I'm kind of with with David Lynch on that whole mystery thing, you know, and saying, look, don't tell me what it's about. I, yeah. I would rather. I'd rather think that this is a big elaborate thing about purgatory. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just I, that's what I would rather do. And so I'm still going through that. And uh, and I've been reading. Wait, have you have you watched the YouTube video where it's just a string of unanswered questions from Lost? No. Oh, you it have sounds to watch amazing. That, I, I that is required that. viewing if you've seen Lost. Yeah, it's I need just to watch a whole that. montage of questions that have not been answered by the series. See, I love stuff like that. You know, I I I would need to watch that, and I'll probably have to watch that around the same time that I watched that that four and a half hour video explaining Twin Peaks, like no, all no. the mystery of Twin Peaks in four and a half hours. And they say that it's like the greatest explainer ever. And I'm like four and a half hours, that's, you know, oh, that's Warren Peaks, basically. <laughs> yeah, no. I've been I've been reading, too. Um, I, I was reading last night. I was reading a really cool and I, I don't I don't remember the name of the short story, but it's in that Crackpot Palace by Jeffrey Ford. And it was just a really cool take on on vampires. And, it, you know, at first I was kind of suspicious, like maybe that's what it was. But it was unique enough and different enough that it really I said, man, that's impressive because that's kind of a hard one to, you know, vampires have been so played out. I mean, it's <laughs> there's there's so many different takes on what they are and how they operate and what what's the lore behind it. that it's it's hard sometimes to find a really original take on. It. I felt like his short story did that. But I'm also this is a little out of the blue, but I'm reading this. Secret formula. I'll show it because it's kind of a cool, cool cover. Secret formulas of the Wizard of Ads, and it's it's weird because um, I'm sure that the guy's name is is in this, um, but I've always just called him the Wizard of Ads, and so I'll just continue doing that. <laughs> just say, oh yeah, Roy Williams. So yeah, Roy Williams. But it, the, it's a great book, and it's got those edges, that paper, and maybe you guys know what that is. Yeah, it's, deckled edges. <laughs> oh my gosh, I. I love this, but I'm reading this. I'm on this part. I've read it before, but I'm going back to it. It's, it's just, it's so great. He's a, he's an ad man, right? And he talks about uh, uh, promote, promoting things and putting together ads and images wait, 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 and wait. sounds. He's the wizard of ads and he does have his name on the front cover of his own book. 
Oh, dude, that is his name. Everybody just—he's just the Wizard of Ads. That's just—that is just it. No, he doesn't have it on on that. But this chapter is about a layman's guide to the brain, and it's talking about uh, what is it? Uh, is it uh, Broca's brain? And it's talking about the different parts in your mind, and and how images and sound are affected by that. And he talks about how sound is something that our brain is particularly interested in. And it, it, we preserve it. And that's the, the, the power of a jingle, right? Or the repeated word, right? That's just, re that is uh, repeated over and over and over. Um, keywords that are used. So, you know, if people go, da 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 a lot of times they're just going to think about Big Macs. <laughs> I mean, like, they're going to be like, I'm loving that. And so there's, there's something to the jingle, um, whereas we're so accustomed to seeing things all the time. Our visual field is constant that it's easy for the brain to deprioritize visuals and to prioritize unique sounds more than unique sight. And so it's just, it's an interesting thing. And I'm, I'm reading through, it's a little philosophical, um, but it's, it's helping put together some ideas for uh, promoting things, which is good because I'm actually talking to, and it's not, you know, keep your fingers crossed and stuff, but I actually had a conversation with an acquisition editor and so that's um, I'm sending some chapters of the book uh, for samples, the uh, chapters of the book that I'm writing right now and almost done. Very, very close. And so kind of getting in a zone of not only finishing those final couple chapters, but also, you know, how to how to pitch that. Um, and so I went back to something I read years ago and I'm loving every second of it. Well, just make sure you put your name in the cover, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not big enough to just call myself the wizard and everybody knows what that is but yeah. <laughs> so what have you been reading man well I, I i've got a complaint man actually that I, I wanted to talk about i've got this thing that there's something you know i've been watching curvy enthusiasm for the third time and i'm and i'm on season like five or six or something like that so it's just such a feel-good show for me and last night before i went to bed I, I put it i went to amazon like i've been doing for the past two or three months and all of a sudden it was taken off prime and, and I have to get HBO. And this happens to me all of the time. They did Netflix did that with me with Rockford files. I got like mm. two, three seasons in and then they stop it. Um, I was started to watch X files. I got two, three seasons into that on Amazon prime and they took it off. And then yeah. they just did that to me with, with uh, and then, it's a real bummer. I don't want to subscribe to HBO. I mean, I've already seen, I, I actually just bought um, Kirby Enthusiasm on DVD anyway, but I'd like, I have like four or five of the seasons. Yeah, I love that show. Larry yeah. David's a genius. Yeah, my wife hates it. She can't stand him, but. Well, people either love it or hate it because I mean, yeah. it is awkward. Like it's uncomfortable, the situations yeah. that he finds himself in. Yeah, for sure. I don't, think she, I don't think she likes all of the arguing and the fighting and stuff. There's a lot of yelling yeah. and bickering. You know, and after watching yeah. it for the third time, I think that I would argue that Larry David is the nicest guy on the show and then everybody else is just an a-hole. Because yeah, every tiny thing that he does do, they just blow it all up. They blow it. Why yeah. would you do that? Why would you? And they're the ones who... You know, and he's just kind of the victim. I mean, granted, he does some, you know, he does speak inappropriately at times, you know, when it's like, dude, you probably should just shut your mouth right now instead of bringing that up. Yeah, no, my, my favorite episode of that is, I think it's from season one or two, but 
he goes to a movie theater with like a bottle of water um and oh, yeah, yeah. there's this, this like lady at the door and she's like you can't bring water you can't bring outside food or drinks into the theater and he's like no this is my water like i have this medication i need to take this water like it's important and she's like no there's no outside food or drinks you need to throw it away so he's all pissed off and everything and he like kind of chucks the water in the trash can by the door and then he and his wife go and sit down and they're like watching the show and the lady who told him that he had to throw his water away comes and sits down, like, right in front of him. Mm. And he's like, doesn't even work there. is this lady, like, not at work here? <laughs> so he, like, kind of taps her, and he's like, excuse me, but, like, are you an employee of the theater? And she's like, no. And he goes, yeah, but you just told me to throw out my water. Like, why would you do that? And she's like, because it's the rules. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can't bring it. If that's the rules. And he was, and, like, his wife's face is like, oh, here it comes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so good. But uh, he's gonna pull also, a Karen on Karen. Yeah, also, I need to I, talk to the manager. Right. The other day, I got an email from uh, T Public. I've got T-shirts in uh, up at T Public and and on Redbubble, and they're mainly like just like my book covers and stuff. I put them up for me so that I could order them and I could wear them. And I came up with this design that I thought was genius because I love uh, mashups that have to do with like two of my absolutely favorite things. And if I spot something like that, I like a shirt like that, I have to buy it if they have two of my mm -hmm. like, favorite things. Well, I came up with this shirt and I've posted it before and I wore it so that I could show it in here if anybody hadn't seen it before. But it was taken down from Tee Public. You can see that. This is my Jack Flag, Black Flag uh, mashup. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. It, the guitars for Black Flag uh, had it taken down. So Wow. Oh. Um, I only really put it up there, you know, made it in Photoshop and stuff. Only put it up there for me. But I was a little... I know the guy owes uh, royalties to Henry Rollins and everybody else that was in Black Flags. And, and he's not... You know, he's not letting up, so I thought it was a little... Rude. That's so not punk, too. I mean, it's like the least exactly. punk thing in the world, dude. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. give me a break, yeah. man. I actually have one more thing I wanted to bring up, and I'm bringing it up because I've been wanting to for a while, and I thought this was an appropriate time because Sadie's here. Because we have this platform, I wanted to pimp a stranger dream, which is, I don't know yeah. if, she, if I can say her name or not. I don't know if she, like, what the privacy thing is there. You can say it. Yeah? Okay. This her, guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, anyway. <laughs> Little sad. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, Carly at Stranger Dream makes these rad bookmarks. These are like uh, paper doll bookmarks. They're really high quality. Really cool. She has a Stephen King one. Yeah, I have that guy. <laughs> and I just wanted to share. Yeah, I love that one. That I got. It says read, read, what is that one? Read and ghost, chill, read ghost stories, ghost stories and chill. And chill. Yeah, I love that. And chill. Yeah, and the colors are really cool, too. And then, yeah, I got some of these. She asked if she could do these, and I was like, uh, heck yes. Like, maybe you just pointed out. <laughs> you have a trio yeah. of chads. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, these, are two, these are two of my favorites, man. They're just so creative. This shiny. Oh, yeah, I have, her, I have those, too. Yeah, they're gross. All it's blood splatter. Yeah. But this is this is probably the most creative one, I think. There's some nudity on this, but it's got 
the chick in the bathtub from The Shining, from Kubrick's Yeah, I, she was gross. And on the backside, it's got. Ugh. Yeah. 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 Gross. Yeah. You should go to a strangerdream.com and she has maybe a hundred or 150. I don't know. There's just so many. These are just, these are just some of them, but um, yeah, she's super cool. Yeah. She's great. So Sadie, are you, are you reading anything? Are you watching anything? Let's see. Um, Dan and I just finished the uh, Waco series on Netflix. I guess it had aired someplace previously for like two years or whatever, but this is the first time that I had seen it. Um, And Dan and I were both kind of like um, marveling at the fact that the Waco incident happened when we were both in high school. So it was like 1993. um, And we both remember watching like live uh, news footage of the event but i mean the way that it was told to us was like mm-hmm. david crush is uh, a yeah. cult leader mm-hmm. and he and his uh wives or whatever were abusive to their to their children they had all these weapons in their compound and you know the atf uh decided to go in there and confiscate their weaponry and, and you know just things got out of hand and the cult uh ended up taking their own lives is kind of how it was like a suicide yeah. mission or something yeah, right. um and then that's kind of how we remember it and then the show really kind of like presents it in a different way like from two different perspectives so you have uh, a guy who was invited to live at the cult um at the compound um, and his name was Thibodeau and, or his last name's Thibodeau. And he, um, you know, spoiler alert survives. Um, and he writes a book about it. So he is actually on the set for the show Waco kind of as an informant and just kind of like, you know, making sure that things are accurate. And then there's also the FBI agent who was a negotiator who, um, you know, was really involved for at least 21 days. It's like a 51 day, um, um, standoff and he was there for the majority of it trying to you know have conversations with Koresh so I mean it's really compelling storytelling the acting is out of this world because you have Michael Shannon playing the FBI um, negotiator you have some guy that was doing the the lead role of David Koresh who was just amazing and I really like the way that like they um, kind of infused some humanity there. I mean, he was charismatic and he was, you know, definitely off the rails, but I mean, you could see why people would listen to him. And so when, you know, when a show portrays a cult leader as just being this wild loose cannon, it's like, how, why would people follow somebody like that? Like that doesn't track. So, um, I thought they did a really amazing job. We really enjoyed it. We binged it over like, there's six episodes and we binged it over like two nights, you know, watching like three episodes each night. I'm so glad you said something about that because I, I didn't even know that was around until like two days ago. And I grew up series. Yeah. The series. I I just had no clue. Right. I've been, I've been lost. And so, you know, I'm in this, I'm in this other world right now. And uh, yeah. no, the Waco thing, like growing up, I'm, I'm with you. You know, I, I remember watching TV every day and seeing the, the banner held out the window and stuff. And I remember this is before I went to journalism school and realized how atrocious this scenario was that journalists right. weren't allowed anywhere near. I mean, they're like super far right. away. And I, you know, it was, so it was a lot of re- really weird craziness, but then, you know, my, uh, 
I was raised in a very conservative home, right? It's like, I mean, like way patriotic home. And, but so we had these documentaries, you know, and, and we had documentaries where congressional testimony and satellite footage of, of Waco and the tanks yeah. around it. And when the tanks yeah. shot and it changes the narrative, I, it blew my mind. Like mm-hmm. it, it was a, it was a weird story to be told and it is not entirely true. It doesn't make him this great guy. Right? It doesn't no. mean that like, oh, no, he's just a normal Joe Schmo. Don't worry. No, no I mean, he was. it's still a cult. I mean, you know, we yeah. believe he's, you know, a prophetic person kind of thing, you know. And so like, um, but at the same time, it, it, it put, like you said, it put humanity on him for me. These watching the documentaries and watching the testimony of different people, even the, the local sheriff and other people um, who weren't part of the group, but yet knew the people there. And and the, the what they said about it. And so I'm really glad you brought that up. That totally took me by surprise. And and now you've piqued my interest. I definitely if I was going to watch it before, I am now definitely going to be watching. Yeah, definitely. Highly recommend. Also, we're watching a show called this is on Apple TV plus. So if you have an Apple TV and you're streaming and you have like Hulu and Netflix and all the things you can also buy and subscribe to Apple TV which we did, and we have watched numerous great shows on Apple TV+, Plus. Um, but one of which is called Defending Jacob, um, which I also hear is a, is a book. Um, and one of my colleagues at Lit Reactor is going to write an article about the comparisons between the book and the show. But the show, oh, like it's Friday night right now, and like Dan and I are totally going to watch that tonight because it is very compelling. It's it's about a, a, a young, like, 15-year-old boy and um, a child in his, or, like, you know, another 15-year-old boy in his school is found murdered in the park. And he has a father who is a um, big kind of prosecutor, attorney in the town or whatever, is working on the case at first. And then his son is implicated in the murder. So they take his father off the case. And then now it becomes, like, you know, the dad's role and passion to, you know, help his son clear his name and mm-hmm. make sure he doesn't go to prison because he's going to get tried as an adult. So that's wow. very compelling as well. That. I love uh, like courtroom dramas and stuff like that, which reminds yeah. me, um, my wife and I got turned on to Boston Legal, which is kind of an older, like 90s show, but we're big, huge uh, James Spader fans. And oh, so yeah. we, start- <clears throat> we started watching it. And of course, I don't need to tell you what Amazon did to us after about. Oh, no. Yeah, can't believe it. And then just in terms of books, I was telling Chad earlier, I finished um, Inner Demons, which is a four novella collection by Bob Ford. And it kind of blew my mind, to be honest. Like, I wasn't expecting it to be so, so good. I was expecting it to be great, but I wasn't expecting it to be amazing, which it was. Um, and that's called Inner Demons by Robert Ford. People need to buy it. And I just finished Alan Baxter's, um, The Book Club, which is also sort of like a disappearing person kind of story with a mystery and a thriller. And, you know, since it's Alan Baxter does like urban horror, so it does have some horror elements in it that are kind of surprising. And that was really good. Um, I'm also currently reading uh, Gemma Amore's um, The White Pines, 
which is really good. I mean, everything is really interesting. I was just telling somebody the other day, like I don't read a lot of crappy books. Like I, yeah. I almost kind of want to pick something that's kind of crappy. So I could just be like, <laughs> Oh, that's crappy. You know, just so I'm not always constantly churning out these five and four star reads. But I mean, it's like, this is the, this is the golden age of horror or something. It's like everything that comes out is, quality i mean you had quality releases from stephen graham jones this year or they're coming in june um you know paul tremblay and stephen king had a book and sorry <laughs> it's funny the way you were talking about how so many of the books you're reading are really great you know and you do these reviews and stuff and so people are following you and they're seeing you talk about books and they're always really good. And so you're giving these books great reviews and it's like, man, I got to read one that's bad. And that way it's not just constantly fours and fives. It's kind of like our show, Chad, all of the, the movies that we've done have gotten really good scores, except for uh, Chad did not like unicorn city. And he, I, I'm going to out him on this man. He did not want to watch fantastic Mr. Fox. And I was, yeah, Chad, I was like, annoying. I was like, bro, I will totally watch fantastic. I've wanted to watch it. I said, it's so creative and original. It's so good. Like George yeah. Clooney as a fox <laughs> is probably like cooler than any actor giving a performance ever. Just got I just, I just saw the, I saw that it was, I think PG. I saw the, like just the poster of it. And I was like, what? I didn't, I didn't quite, because you said, I want to watch a Wes Anderson movie. And I was like, cool. Bottle yeah. Rocket's one of my favorites. And I was hoping you picked that, but. I was fine yeah. with any any of them. And so you you gave three movies, one of which was the Fox thing. I'd never heard of before. And I was like, well, this is weird. She gives the, these two Wes Anderson movies and then this children's movie. Yeah, so I, I gave a list to Jeremiah. And he's like, oh, I, I, I want to see Rushmore again. I was like, cool. All right, yeah. let's just do Rushmore. But so let's yeah. talk about Rushmore right now. Well, let's, let's talk about it. Rushmore. Yeah, for sure. Rushmore is a Wes Anderson film, and it stars Jason Schwartzman. Yeah, Jason Schwartzman. Bill Murray, among other yep. people. And uh, it, it was written by Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson, actually. It stars Luke Wilson, Owen's brother. It's a like a dry comedy. It's about a 15-year-old kid who uh, undeservedly is enrolled at a prep school and befriends a middle-aged guy, Bill Murray, <laughs> and the two fall in love with the same woman played by Olivia Williams. I will I will do my like what I thought in the first 10 minutes because this was my first viewing and I had no idea. I thought that I had seen it before. I think there was only one other movie I haven't seen. And Bottle Rocket's one of my favorite comedies ever. So I was surprised that I hadn't seen this because this is his second film. It, it has that, it's got the indie, even if the music in it isn't indie, like there's the Stones in there and the Who, but the, it still has like an indie feel, the choices, you know, mm -hmm. uh, they're like deep cuts. So right away I knew just, you know, from the credits and the, the music and just the, well, first of all, you could tell right away it was Wes Anderson, but I think it was a little bit, it was like, it's like he graduated from like just the bottle rocket thing. And then he started to kind of not find his voice, but his, like his Wes Anderson thing that, that he does where, you know, you've got those those symmetrical shots and uh, quirky things going on. Bottle Rocket is less like that, but everything else that he has done is like that. So everything post Bottle Rocket, you can you can really tell that it's him. Yeah, I mean, I knew I was going to like it. Plus, I'm a huge 
Jason Schwartzman fan. And uh, it was weird seeing him so young because I like him in, you know, as he's gotten older and like him in, in later stuff. And I knew I was going to enjoy it. Huge Bill Murray fan. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I yeah, I was excited and um, I did end up enjoying it. I won't tell you what I, my rating is yet, but. When did you first see this, Sadie? Did you see this when it came out? That's a really good question. I don't know if I went to the theater and saw it. Like Chad said, Bottle Rocket um, was kind of my first encounter with Wes Anderson. Um, and Rushmore feels like a slight departure. Like it doesn't feel as indie. It's a little more polished. And I think it kind of was like finding his groove. I don't know if it's his second movie though, Chad. Yeah. Did you look that up? Mm-hmm. It, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So it definitely feels like he developed more of a style. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I did see it relatively soon after it was it was released. I don't yeah, I don't know if it was a theater thing for me, but it was definitely very soon afterwards. I saw it originally really close to release date, and then I've seen it a bunch of times since. I love it. When I saw that Owen Wilson had written it as well, of course, his brother Luke is in it, I was a little shocked that Owen wasn't in it, but he actually was in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know that until after I had watched the movie. Yeah, he's in a picture. Yeah, he plays the dead husband. Yeah, Appleby. Yeah. Appleby, yeah. And actually, yeah. isn't another Wilson brother in it yeah. as the gym yeah. teacher? Yeah, because yeah. that it's... guy sounds like a Wilson. Oh yeah. He sounds he sounds oh, just yeah. like Owen. Yeah, and he played yeah. the uh he played the bully older brother in Bottle Rocket. Yeah, so all three oh, yeah. brothers were in in both movies. Yeah, because Luke was also he was Dr. Dr. Peter Flynn. Yeah. Which that's a, a terribly uncomfortable scene. <laughs> like oh, it was like, it's so uncomfortable man the scene in the restaurant yeah it is yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you do guy and he's like oh i'm a i'm an or nurse oh are you yeah right yeah that was that i laughed out loud or, or i laughed out right? loud for that one yeah i actually rewound yeah. it because bill murray's reaction and that scene in particular <laughs> it's weird because when i was watching it i i'm i'm a big fan of like uh films that have like this uh eyeball relationship even if it's kind of platonic and and i do i throw that kind of stuff in the stuff that i write a lot movies like harold and maude and uh the graduate and lost in translation which has bill murray in it uh juno um or even a a movie called lars and the real girl with uh, ryan gosling where he like has this dowel thing um but there's something about relationships that either shouldn't happen for moral reasons or just because it does, it seems unlikely. There's something when it does connect, even if it's platonic, uh, I really enjoy watching that. And so when, what was his name? Max Fisher, when he was hot for this teacher, yeah. I thought I, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, dude, I can help you with this. I know how to get this chick. <laughs> and and then and I'm like I want I wanted I wanted this to work for him you know yeah. and because uh, and I don't know if this was an, on purpose or if it was just something that I picked up on but I felt like if he made the right move then he could have had her somehow I just felt like it was there you know somehow but he he made so many bad decisions and it was that scene in particular <laughs> what are you laughing at oh and he's cracking up i'm thinking of like a sequel dude where like years later he's 18 years old and she's still there and it's like remember the days (laughs) yeah and and it's like he gets the girl finally on his go-kart there are some moments where it seems like she's 
contemplating like yeah yeah logistics a little bit i mean he is 15 but he's so much older like i don't know if i don't know if it like played out for you guys like it did for us but when we watched it last night we dan and i both were kind of like the dialogue in this is hilarious. Like everyone yeah. talks like a gangster or something, you know, where they're just like super cool. Like even the little kid is just so chill. Like he's just, what was that kid's name? Um, Calloway, Dirk Calloway. Oh, like yeah. He's just so, his little friend is so chill and just like how he shows up, you know, in the barber chair and just has some choice words for his friend. Like, I mean, it was just, you know, Max Fisher is just cool beyond his years, even though, like you said, Chad, he totally messes up everything. Yeah, like a, a real boss moment, you know, like in the where he's got the newspaper. Did somebody say my name? You know, kind of thing. Yeah, and then when he was the, dreaming. The, the yeah. chair, and I was going to say Dennis the Menace. And it's funny because the, the kid, uh, his little buddy, he almost lost the, the role cast because they were afraid that too many people would just automatically think Dennis the Menace. And truth is, they probably did. I mean... <laughs> Like you see the kid and even his hairstyle and stuff, you're like, oh, that's Dennis the Menace. And so, but he did, I thought he did a great job. That that scene that we were just talking about, the dinner scene, I, I was, this is where it started to impress me, the writing of that character, the Max Fisher character. I'm watching it thinking, okay, dude, I know I'm older. I know what you need to do here. And I'm thinking <laughs> with this mindset of somebody who has far more experience than this 15 year old kid. And so when he starts like, I, I felt like, okay, he's like, he's starting to kind of, she's interested or she's at least really intrigued by him, you know, and uh, not, not interested like romantically, but she's like, felt like she was surprised that she was even giving him the time of day because she was so um, kind of taken back by his, his demeanor and, and, and him just being so unique. And so when they're at this dinner thing and he starts bad-mouthing her friend and stuff i'm like oh dude you know you're screwing everything up this is not going to happen for you now and it occurred to me you know a little bit later that of course because that's yeah what a 15 year old would do that's what i would have done right. when i was 15 is screw it all up and not know what a woman needs or wants let alone a, a one that's been married and that's a widower you know this kid has no clues so i thought that you know, instead of you, you see a lot of these, especially these indie films and the kids are super intelligent, like Juno or something where they're just like on the ball and they're wise beyond their years. And he was, but he had these faults that just kept him like at a young, you know, like after that, after you saw the child in him come out, it was never going to happen. You saw that. Yeah. And like that scene when um, he kind of stages that accident outside of her house and yeah. then he kind of crawls in through her window he was so insensitive to her situation like yeah here she is like reading a book in her dead husband's bedroom he comes mm -hmm. in through the window she's kind enough to let him in he has manipulated her i don't know how many times with like just all of these acts that he has done selfishly um just to get her attention and then he's lying there he puts that that music in the mixtape on, yeah. Radio. Yeah. And then, and then, um, you know, just the comments that he made about like, oh, like reminding her that her husband has passed, you know, like he's mm -hmm. like your, your husband's dead fingernails or whatever he says. And she's crying. Yeah. So insensitive. And then, 
There is a moment, though, where she's kind of seeing him maybe as not like she would be in a relationship with him, but they're having this kind of like intimate moment. And then she realizes that he has put that fake blood on his forehead. Right. It's yeah. just like another manipulation. Like, I think that's yeah. the moment where she was just like, you, what does she say? You're a child. You're such a child. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's where it just, that's where it just completely shuts down. Like, Even at the end, at the very end, when she takes his glasses off. The look yeah. on her face was like one of kind of like, wow, this is the kid that is underneath his glasses kind of thing. And I, I felt like for a teacher that isn't interested, I felt like there were many instances where it was really inappropriate of her to, especially if she knew, you know, once you find out some kids in love with you, you need to not like not hang out with him, not talk to him. Yeah. You know, yeah, you don't, sure. you don't, you don't dance with him. You don't like, rub his forehead and stuff like that. You know, yeah. kids can't handle that kind of stuff. They get too confused. But I mean, it was just a movie. Even after, even after he admitted it and it became really clear her, instead of going, look, I'm a teacher. We, you're way younger than me. You're 15 years old. What are you doing? And, and no, you cannot work with me. Right? <laughs> you can't be around her. Her question was, it was, it was a question where she's like, you know, you do realize that I'm much older than you. I mean, that's not really putting an end to anything. In fact, that's maybe part of the whole taboo infatuation with this, right? So it's like fueling the infatuation, in fact. And I felt in that way that she was also a little bit manipulative for different reasons, right? And I felt like that she wasn't entirely on the up and up through the whole thing and that there was always an element. And I felt like the the preview, I went back and I watched a preview for this. And the way that, you know, I don't know who put that together, but they kind of put it together in a way that the, the words that they laid over the events that were happening gave the impression that she went further in that relationship. Like even like the kiss and stuff. I mean, it just it was a weird situation. I'm like, and then when I watched it, I said, well, it didn't do that. <laughs> it's kind of weird, but it hyped up that dynamic of it. You know, yeah. the, the, the tension that was there with all of that. But I like how you brought that up, Sadie, about, how, you know, even in that moment where she was starting in light of all the stuff, you know, she's sad. She's she's really surrounded by the relics of her husband. It's all around her and and yeah. he's being rude to her. And yet she's still kind of open to the, you know, at least it's it appears that way, the optics of it. But then when she realizes and she's being really sympathetic and, and helpful to him and wipe, you know, uh, wiping it off. And then she realizes and it kind of takes her back and you could see it even in her face. And I felt like the. The actress, what's her name? Olivia Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That I felt that she did a good job in that moment where you just saw that just the switch. I think my other favorite aspect are kind of all of the minor characters. I love the kid that has the uh, Scottish brogue. I think that anytime he's on the scene is hilarious. And then I love Bill Murray's relationship with his weirdo twin sons, Ronnie and Donnie. Like, I love that they get in the car and they're just like bullies to him and just all the scenes with him and his sons are hilarious. Um, and then I love the Dirk Calloway kid, the, the young kid that's friends with uh, Max Fisher. Oh, and I love Max Fisher's dad. I mean, who is that guy? Yeah. Is he in other movies? I mean, he is adorable. Yeah. I've seen him before. Yeah. His I mean, name is Seymour Cassell. I'm trying to remember what films he's in. It's, but I, I, like I, I saw him play a really serious role, like in a mobster movie or something like that. Yeah, I feel I feel like he's the the character in Up. You know, I was just gonna say, oh my gosh, yes, yes. he looks yes. just like that guy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Just with a missionary shirt. You know, he's got yeah. the, the, that's what they used to call them. The missionary shirts. They're like the, the, uh, you see them in a lot of these kind of Italian flicks, you know, where they got the big collars and they got on both sides, they have kind of a stylistic stripe that goes down. That's got, like a, you know, shapes and everything in it. Yeah. And, the, uh, uh, like a bowler shirt. Yeah. But like a bowler shirt. It's got, it's got pockets, you know? And so you, you normally have pockets. I lived in a apartment above this, uh, this barber shop in New Jersey, and he was Italian. He'd be uh, amazing barber, actually. And uh, he wore those shirts every single day, man. And so, like, when I saw this, it was so nostalgic for me. I was like, I know barbers like that. My, even my grandfather, he used to get a barber chair down in the basement and cut all of his 11 kids' hair, you know. And uh, he had the same missionary shirt. <laughs> I said, said well, wow. so, yeah, it was, uh, I think he did a really great job. And it was kind of a he sad did. situation with him because the son... You know, uh, Max lied to everybody yeah. about who his dad was. And there was a real shame there. But that, that was actually, I felt, one of the more endearing things about the film. That he, that through the the loss, you know, through him getting expelled and uh, all the things happening to him throughout this, that he kind of brought on himself, in fact, that um, that put him in a place that he began to bond with his, his dad, but that his dad didn't allow him to stay there in that place of despair. And he goes, look, you know, I'm, I'm a barber. I'm really glad, you know, yeah, you're a barber's son. I got you. You know, it's like a carpenter's son. We're not, <laughs> it's not 2000 years ago, bro. And you know, you can, you can be something bigger. And I've always imagined you doing something. And that was always something that the dad especially loved about his son was that his son did want to be something different than that. And I thought that was endearing. Definitely redeemed himself at the end where he showed off his dad and, you know, admitted that he was but i thought there were it was neat that there were some parallels with the like neurosurgeon thing when like i think it was when bill murray went and got his hair cut i can't remember exactly what he had said but they are they were things that a surgeon could have said to a patient uh so they were like they, they fit both of them so it almost tied in like maybe that's you know like that's how i came up with the neurosurgeon thing other than the fact that neurosurgeons make uh you know decent money <laughs> What do you think about that? Uh, the soundtrack there, Sadie. You know, because it was different. It was, you know, it wasn't like a regular score. It was, you know, a bunch of songs. And I guess originally they were thinking about it, making it a, a score. You know, where you had a composer come in and do that. And instead, uh, or or originally you're gonna have one band. I think it was gonna I be like just. I think you know, they just wanted the Who. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't think it was the Who. I forget who it was. Maybe it was. It might have been the Who. You know, but that they decided to go with this. Did you? Was that was that a kind of a throwback? I mean, did you? No, it was the Kinks. The Kinks. Is that yeah. the Forgiven song? You are forgiven. Is that I the don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. I mean, that's it just is... characteristic of Wes Anderson movies: is to have yeah. like either kind of awkward music where you're just kind of like this music doesn't fit this scene, but it's like interesting and it sticks in your mind, or it's you know just weird quirky music and kind of off the beaten path but i love the stone song at the end mm. yeah me too wes anderson music is always like the soundtracks are always really cool and the opening montages are always really interesting too with you know um showing lots of nostalgic things and small things and just particular things like that's kind of his hallmark um is to make sure that all the details are are there you know from the cufflinks yeah to the badges, to the outfits, you know, Margaret Yang, the the young girl that ends up at the end, you know, he kind of strikes up a little relationship with her. 
her whole outfit and her whole aesthetic with her little coats and her glasses. Mm -hmm. And I mean, every detail to everyone's wardrobe is intentional and planned and, you know, just a part of their character. I'd love to have a pair of his shoes, Max. I actually was like, I was watching and I'm looking at their, at their clothes. I'm a nineties kid, man. You know, I grew up on like Nirvana and that show on Nickelodeon called roundhouse. And so like, I remember that style very, very, very well. And I I'm watching. And I also like you know, that it's a mix of, of kind of this, it's an alternative thing, you know, where he's got uh, the tennis shoes, kind of skater shoes almost. And, uh, and yet he's wearing a tie and a suit. You know, and so and then later he's wearing that they used to have zippers on the sleeves. They're like kind of fall jackets and you can turn them into vests. And it's that's what it looked like. And it was brown and it had the stripes that kind of went toward the, the zipper in the center. And just all the all the clothes, the wardrobe and the whole thing. I was like, man, this is a, whoever did that. Whoever did the, the yeah. wardrobe for this movie was really, really good. Yeah. All the colors. I love Wes yeah. Anderson's muted colors. There's something about that looks like almost like they could be uh, figures taken out of a dollhouse. Some of those clothes, like like just that's just what they remind me of. This clothes that that would be on like a figures in a like that you would buy at a store, little miniatures and put in a dollhouse, and have this like uh, nuclear family in there. Yeah, even with the pants being a little short. Yeah, yeah, because it, yeah. it, it was it was a little bit high waters, you know, waiting for a flood. You know, but uh, you know, but it was it was awesome, and I felt that they were all good. And you brought up you brought up the girl Margaret Yang. I guess originally they were going to make her have a wooden finger, and they they ended up doing that. And they did that in a later film. What was that? Was it the Royal Tenenbaums that one of the characters had a wooden finger? Yeah, and they but I that was what so. they were going to do. They were going to have her have this one one wooden finger, and they ended up deciding against it. What did you guys think of um, Max Fisher's like? plays that he would do like super ridiculous i love (laughs) like a school play all i can think about is there's just and you know i mean i was thinking like realistically you know there's just no way i mean that the school there's so many fire hazards you know and they were just so (laughs) over the top dynamite guns and stuff i mean like fireworks schools are so like anti-weapons you know well they dropped the end they dropped the n-bomb I couldn't, yeah. I was like, and he, and he calls him essay oh, and he was doing, and he was doing Calavero. Right. He had the top button buttoned and the rest of it's like undone. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, Hey, essay. there was in, in 10 <laughs> seconds, they said, homie essay and the end bomb. And I was like, wow. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. But the, I love those plays. I was like, man, it, it, especially the last, I mean, obviously it would never, never, never happen in real life. I mean, no school would allow such a thing you know but not only that but the tremendous budget that would go into a play like right that. i mean the after party was so elaborate with like the nudie photos and the barracks yeah. and yeah. you know the sparklers and i guess that but, last I mean, scene cool. upset the there was a i don't know if it's the producer or who it was but there was a winery that they owned and that that scene was made i believe in that winery and it did not make that person happy like that that happened and so they were upset about it when he saw it. He's like, whoa, like this is my place kind of a thing, you know. But I thought it was interesting about when it was written and stuff, um, even before Bottle Rocket. And that it has, it's kind of biographical. 
um, kind of touching on the way that they were raised and where they went to school. And I looked up their schools and I thought it was so interesting. There's what St. John's and St. Mark's, both of them in Texas. And that Owen Wilson was, was uh, at St. Mark's until he got kicked out in 10th grade. Um, and uh, yeah, he was at St. Mark's and Anderson ended up attending St. John's in, in Houston. But that these are both elite schools, you know, and my kids go to a school similar to that, not as expensive. They were bringing in kind of the aesthetic. And in the fact that you're dealing with kids who are extremely bright, you know, like my kids, they're learning Latin. And so when he was talking about Latin club and stuff, I was like, yes, you know, I, I knew what he was saying in Latin when he was talking. And so I, I understand that. But I also understand, you know, you can see these kids and I see them all the time in school, uh, not in quarantine, obviously. But, you know, you see them and they're they're in their amazing blazers with the little gold cufflinks and stuff and looking super fancy and the power ties with burgundy and these kind of royal colors and speaking in latin to each other and kind of a crazy world and yet they're kids you know and they still deal with the kids stuff and and so i just it was kind of a cool thing i i related to that i as a dad i said oh yeah i get that <laughs> i i understand this a little bit and so that was another cool thing that I felt about this movie. It's so weird how <clears throat> Bill Murray can be, he's just Bill Murray in everything. He's just looks yeah. just sad and tired and like he just, whatever, doesn't care. And he looks like that in all the movies, but he's just so perfect in, in all of them. I love that yeah, guy. Bill Murray's perfect. He's, he, it's true what you say. He's perfect in every movie yeah. that he does. Yeah. yeah What'd you he, think he, about the scene with him behind the tree? where he peeks out from behind the tree. Like how yeah. bizarre is that? What would you even do in a situation like that? If you turned around and you saw somebody do that and they in really quick hid behind the tree again. One of my favorite scenes of his was at the pool at that party mm -hmm. where he was just kind of like, you know, he had that drink and he was throwing golf balls in the, and they went and did that cannonball. And he goes up on the diving board with like a drink in one hand and a yes. cigarette in his cigarette. mouth. Yeah, and then yeah. I think my daughter was in the room at that point, and I I asked her, I was like, "Who goes up on a diving board to, <laughs> to you know go in the pool with like a drink in one hand and a cigarette and these like Budweiser shorts?" And she's like, "Somebody who just doesn't care." Like, you know, he's at this party. His wife is like clearly flirting with this like other guy. Yeah. And he's got these sons that are just ripping apart all these presents. They're like the worst kids, and he just you know. You could tell he was just like hit rock bottom. Yeah, he, Murray was in uh, at least was it one or two other Wes Anderson. He was in Life Aquatic, and I can't remember, but I know this is the first time that Wes Anderson uh, worked with him, and I think that he was intimidated initially. I, I believe Murray tried to help out, help that out with by by just like doing things that he shouldn't have been doing, like helping a uh, helping out like with laborious stuff around on set and stuff so, yeah so kind of use that tension you know cleaning stuff up moving stuff you know things like that he even paid seventy five thousand dollars for it was a yeah. a shot i guess that never even made the film and it was with max and bloom and they're riding in a helicopter and disney wouldn't dole out the loot and so he gave it himself of the money and they said that anderson he wrote, I read a, blank, he wrote a blank check yeah, blank check. Yeah. And it ended up being yeah. 75000 for that. The shot was. And they said, that, I read online, it said that Anderson delivered his directions to Murray in a whisper so that he would not be embarrassed if the actor shot him down. Like he was intimidated by him. 
And I thought I also read that from that point on, from that movie forward, that they said that it was kind of like a second wind in Murray's career, that he was actually nominated for, uh, I don't know if it was Golden Globe, I forget what it was, the huge award uh, for supporting actor for that. And it, it kind of reinvigorated him. And that from that point forward, I think he's actually been involved to one degree or another with every single Wes Anderson movie since then. Hmm. Like, yeah. 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 yeah, I think yeah, right. like one of the quieter movies that doesn't get a lot of attention is the Moonlight or Moonrise Kingdom. Did you guys see that? No. Yeah, you guys should watch that too. That was like a he also uses Ed Norton a lot in his films, and that's an mm. Ed Norton one where he's one of the primary actors and is yeah, it's really good. What is that one called again? I think it's Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise game. See, I'd never even heard of that. I'm so happy you mentioned that because <laughs> I and yeah. I love Ed Norton, too. I'm like, you know, yeah, I, I I fight club. You know, that was like my right. breakthrough with him and one of my favorite. Uh, and so, like, you know, I've always I've always liked his personality. And so I, I would be really interested in seeing that movie. Yeah, like, it's just cool like when, it. like, an act, when, like, a director uses the same cast members, you know, and just kind of, like, filters them through different roles. And then you get this, like, range of diversity yeah. uh, from all of them. And some of the – yeah, uh, P.T. Anderson does that. He used uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman right up until Philip died in everything. And he also used um, William H. Macy was in oh, yeah. those. Uh, yeah, David Lynch did that a lot, too. David Lynch did that with yeah. – with uh, Kyle and Laura Dern and the whole gang, you know, uh, what's the name from Eraserhead, man? Oh, Jack Nance. Yeah, Jack Nance. So, yeah. and to see that, you know, and so. I did want to say something about Jason Schwartzman. Did you guys know that he was a musician and he's put some albums out? No. No, yeah, I did not know that. He's a songwriter and drummer. I don't know if he plays guitar or not. But yeah, it's good music. And he, he, wrote, the, he wrote the theme song for, have you guys ever watched? Uh, bored to death the tv series or the hbo series with ted danson and zach galifianakis okay i also well, don't subscribe to hbo <laughs> well I, I i think they have that on prime or at least they did and i'm sure they'll take it off if i want to watch it again but he's <laughs> he's he plays somebody on there and that show is actually part of the influence for the neon owl and but nobody's seen bored to death and i can't believe it because it's hilarious Awesome. I never even heard of it. Me either. And I yeah. do like Jason Schwartzman. And it's the best thing Ted Danson's ever done. He's so hilarious in it. And I don't, I'm, I can take or leave him, but this. I know Ted yeah. Danson, he's not like the greatest. <laughs> yeah. But he's great in this. Ted Danson is actually my favorite off. actor. No, no, I'm kidding. I don't know. No. <laughs> yeah, no. You're like, I'm offended. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm royally offended, guys. You're you're busting the chops. I'm a man, Ted. No, no. okay, <laughs> no one says that. Says yeah. no one ever. So Jeremiah, <sighs> let's let's get a rating from you. You know, yeah. uh, uh, stars one through five overall thoughts. You know, I I loved it, man. But it's it's a little bit nostalgic for me. But it's not just nostalgic. Like, I mean, I, I, it resonated with me on so many different levels. There was this bad review by James Berardinelli over at realviews.net. And he said stuff like, you know, uh, Rushmore is one of those films that's so inconsequential that its memory threatens to fade away before the end credits have finished rolling. I think he's off his rocker. I mean, I just think, yeah. I think it's one of the worst reviews. It didn't age well. Let's put it that way. I kind of want to 
just tag him and remind him of that abysmal rating that he gave his review and say, dude, seriously, don't quit your day job. But like it was uh, I felt that it was so good. The music was great. The wardrobe was great. I felt that the characters were great. The dialogue was great. And and there were very few scenes that I felt were not very good. And I, I disagreed with him. He said that the director clearly wants us to like his young protagonist, uh, but that's almost impossible. And I thought, no, it's not. Not if you realize he's 15 years old, right? If you realize he's 15 years old, it's not impossible to like him, right? And in fact, it's easy, in fact, to like him. By the end, you sit there and you say, you know, you might like him because of his quirkiness throughout it, that he, he's kind of, you know, he's pretty brave, right? He's out there. He's a man of action, that's for sure. And he's, he's unafraid to put the Mac on a woman much older than him and way out of his league, right? And yet he's unafraid to try and, and put himself out there. And so, you know, and that he's, he's, uh, he's one of those guys that, that lives for these dreams. And he, even at the, you know, um, kind of the detriment of, of other things that may be important to him, but he's, a, he's an artistic mind and a visionary in that way and extraordinarily talented. But by the end, he's, 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 a person with it that can be broken and in fact is and is is broken at home he's broken with his family he, you know with he's there's pain there and i felt that it was really easy in fact to care for him and so i thought that the whole movie was really cool um very few scenes that i would say i ah, you know you need that or you know i wish they would have done this a little bit more although i do wish they would have maybe developed uh margaret's character a little bit more you know, and had her maybe in there, but it's not, that's not a big sticking point. And so for me, I wouldn't give it a five, but I'd be pretty, I'd be pretty close to that. I mean, like, you know, to me, I'd say like a 4.4.6, 4.7 for the film. Like, I think that it was a really great film. I encourage everybody, in fact, to watch it. I don't, I don't know very many people that I would say, don't watch this movie or it's not for you. Although to give a warning, parental warning, there is, and Sadie mentioned this earlier, there, there is a scene with at the very, very end at the end party, there's a scene where there's young boys and they're kind of sitting around and there's some uh, pinup ladies. Right. And so that's, but that's the only thing, you know, other than that, it's a, uh, it's a clean film. And so I, I thought that it was an amazing film and 4.6, 4.7. What about yourself, Sadie? Um, yeah, it's probably a five star for me. I think it's one of Wes Anderson's uh, cleanest movies in the sense that it, from start to finish, it doesn't meander or wander. Um, like a movie like The Budapest Hotel that came much later, I thought that there was some lulls in the story. And this one um, just kind of had a, a good even flow the entire time. Even though Max Fisher is super pretentious and just you know, you find yourself like shaking your head at just this, the way that he treats people and, and just the way he's so full of himself, you know, by the end of the movie, you are rooting for him. Um, even when he and Bill Murray's character are having this kind of like showdown in the middle where they're, you know, amping mm -hmm. up and, you know, trying to basically kill each other. I mean, what Max Fisher mm -hmm. like cuts his brake lines, like he could have yeah. really done some harm there, but, um, you know, by the end of it, even though they're unlikely heroes, you are kind of uh, rooting for their success and for their friendship and um, the trio of them with the uh, the woman and and uh, Bill Murray and 
and Max Fisher. It's it's you can tell it's like kind of a long term relationship that they're going to have over the course of years, just kind of based on mutual respect and just having fun together in each other's company. I, I love that they came to his show at the end. He kind of resigned his romance for her and tried to put those two together. I mean, it's just really heartwarming. It's um, hilarious. It's unexpected. Um, the music is great. On all counts for me, directing, acting, cinematography, all of the whole thing. It's just, yeah, it's all good for me. What about you, Chad? What do you rate this thing as, man? Easy four. Easy four for me. Which, it, as far as I'm concerned, a four for me is just like, um, like it doesn't fall within my favorite, most favorite movies. But it falls into like it's something that would I would highly recommend, and that if you know, if somebody asked for you know coming of age thing or or uh, like a cool indie movie or something that with dry humor or something like that, definitely I, I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad that you chose it, Sadie, because uh, because I thought I'd I'd seen it and I was I had missed out and I don't know how it was I was so confused when I put it on. And I was like I'm sure that once I put this on that I'll remember it'll come back to me and it just never did. So I was like, I'll apparently haven't seen this. So I'm, I'm glad that you chose that one. Yeah. And just like, so predictable for me, right. With my coming of age. Yeah. Slant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is right up my alley too. I mean, it, and next time we're going to have to watch fantastic Mr. Fox. Definitely. Yeah. I'm yeah. coming back for that one. Oh, yeah. We twisted Chad's arm. You know, they're sitting there saying, come on, buddy. It's gotta be better than unicorn city. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, he's gonna. You'll like it more, man. I can. I just. I have a feeling, buddy. Well, it's been fun to have you on, Sadie. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it was it, really great to be here. What are What are ways that people can follow your work? Any uh, websites that they should check out, or your YouTube channel, and of course your email. Just let them know, and that yeah, way sure. they can uh, follow you and keep up with what you're doing on social media and everywhere else. Yeah, so I am on all the social media platforms. You can, except for like the dumb ones like TikTok and Snapchat or whatever, <laughs> Snapchat. Um, you can find me on Facebook as Sadie Hartman. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter as Sadie Hartman Mother Horror. I'm on Goodreads as Sadie Hartman Mother Horror. Um, I have the Nightworms, which is nightworms.com. We are currently selling. Um, our July package, which uh, has the summertime madness theme of uh, celebrating Latinx uh, con contributions to the horror community. Um, we're really excited to feature uh, two Latin uh, uh, writers and their books, and one of which I think we spoiled, but it was an optional spoiler, so I can't tell you what the book was, but it's very, very exciting. Oh, I have a blog, sadieluhu.blogspot.com. I just added a blog post today where I talked about the five attributes of good reviews. Um, and then I listed a bunch of my reviewing friends that I think people should check out um, who maybe have like a quieter voice, um, but definitely need to be heard. I mean, I read reviews too. So I just thought it would be cool just to list a bunch of people that are reading and reviewing horror fiction and doing it passionately and doing it you know, out of the goodness of their hearts and for free and, you know, on smaller platforms. That's where you can find me, all the social media <laughs> outlets. I'm, I'm so relieved, too, that you said you just posted a new blog because when I went to the blog, I read one that said goodbye. And I was like, oh. I'm like, no, I'm like, no. and we, and we just got to meet each other. And so, no, yeah, I'm really glad to, to see that. Month. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just goodbye to March. Um, and then I also did want to just say that, like, I, I contribute somewhat regularly, monthly on Lit Reactor and Tor Nightfire. Recently had an article on Fangoria, so it's a cool bucket yeah. list for me. Um, yeah, Twitter is where you can round that all up. I, I make lots of announcements and, and tweets and on Twitter paid it on there. Awesome. <laughs> really, really appreciate your time, Sadie. Uh, I will let you get to your your uh, pot pies. I don't want to keep getting longer from now. So, <laughs> Thanks, no. you guys. Yeah, of course. Thank yeah, you. Um, Have fun with your pot pie. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Bye, Sadie. Bye. All right, Chad. I'm going to ask you, man. Was there a moral to this story, dude? You know, we had a great episode. It was a great film. We all seem to agree that it was really great. Something that people should check out. But after viewing it and really meditating on it, you know, I know that you do kind of this, this tantric yoga like thing on the top of a mountain after all the movies and uh, you really reflect on this and stuff with your alms. What did you, what did you come up with, man? What's the moral of the story here for you? I, I just feel like, you know, if I could go back in time, and be a, a, a teenager, you know, the young, lustful teenager where we're beautiful woman I see, I want to have a relationship with, you know. And let's say I desire to have an older woman, you know, to go steady. Mm -hmm. And I see that she might be interested in somebody her own age, you know. But if I see that guy like running like a schoolgirl and hiding behind trees and stuff, <laughs> then I absolutely know that I've got a chance and I'm going for it. <laughs> Yeah. 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 What about yourself, Jeremiah? Do you have any kind of like moral that you pulled away from watching Wes Anderson's Rushmore that you would like to either apply to your life or or wish you could have, or maybe in the future? Yeah. You know, if I was, yeah, kind of, it's a little bit similar. You know, if I was, if I was in the business, right, of finding a lady or anything big, trying to make a really big impression on somebody uh, well above and beyond my my pay grade that I'm just going to need to invest very heavily in missionary shirts, a uh, whole bunch of guns, dynamite for pyrotechnics, and I'm going to definitely need a multimillionaire buddy pal who's going to be hooking me up with the loot because I got to put on a production, man. I mean, that's how you do it. <laughs> it worked for Max. It'll work for me. Good luck yeah. with that. <laughs> <laughs> Every day, buddy. Every day. All right. So uh, where can they find us, Jeremiah? Oh, man. They can find us all over the place, dude. We're actually spreading like a virus at this point. And uh, no, but we're all over, man. We're on uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram. It's all the same. It's Paleo Cheese. That's P-A-L-E-O-C-H-E-E-Z-E. -E -E. Same thing with our Gmail. You can email us with any suggestions for books or tv shows or movies or interviews and guests and all that stuff and if you'd like us to come on to your show we'd love to do that you can make sure to email us at paleocheese at gmail.com it's bizarre the weird and wacky fiction podcast with me your host mr frank every monday we're talking to everyone who's anyone writing weird and wacky fiction. So if you enjoy reading funny and strange books, or you enjoy writing funny and strange books, join us on Bazong each week to learn along with Mr. Frank. Bazong every Monday, a part of the Project Entertainment Network. <laughs>